the road. It was really funny. As we were driving up here, I told my wife, well, hey, I recognize that building. I recognize that building. I've never been here, but I recognize them somehow, and realized that, well, that was on the, uh, uh, what you would call the flight path, I guess, coming in, um, the, the uh, final approach coming into the airport. So that's the only experience I have at the camp, other than I stalked a girl here one time. Um, she married me, so that it worked out. You know, uh, that sounds really bad, but I actually, uh, my wife was a counselor here one summer, and uh, for a year at school, I had been trying to convince this beautiful, awesome, wonderful woman to date me, okay, uh, to be, you know, a girl that would give me a chance. And it took me nine months for her to say, I don't know. And then... She finally said, we, we, we left college, and she said, well, you know, um, I'm going to be going home. I'm not sure if I'm coming back next year because she has a one-year Bible program. And I was trying to convince her that she needed to come back, and she didn't know yet. So I thought all was lost. But I kept emailing her over the summer for about a month. And then I got a job interview for a youth pastor position down in uh, where I went to college. I'm from Indiana, but we went to college in North Carolina. And so I went down to North Carolina, and while I was down there, I called and said, hey, can I come see you with my mom, okay, because I'm a mama's boy. So we went up to see Michelle. She said, that's fine. We went up to see Michelle, and I asked her while we were there, is it okay if I call you, you know, uh, I had already called her, but <laughs> asked her if it was okay if I called her this uh, during that summer, and she was like, yeah, that's fine. And we stayed at her house for about four and a half hours, and, that, and she got a phone call while we were there. And I got ready to leave, and she goes, oh, you know, uh, I did tell you you could call me, but I'm going to camp this summer. I was like, what does that mean? And she said, well, I'm leaving tomorrow, and I won't be back till August, so I won't have a phone. And I was like, no, you're not allowed to do that. You know, that was, you know, I didn't want her to go. Well, she ended up going, and I became one of those guys that was sappy and wrote these long letters to her all the time, and uh, she never wrote back. Um, and so I wrote more, and she didn't write back. And, you know, she, I, I wrote her like two times a week, okay? <laughs> I was head over heels, okay? Um, so I wrote her two times a week. She wrote me one time a month, uh, something close to that, not quite that bad. But um, I was kind of actually hoping that while she was here, you know, I don't know if they do it at this camp or not, but some camps when you get so many letters in a week, they make you do crazy things. So I was kind of hoping they were going to make her do that, but I don't know if that ever happened. But anyhow, so that's the only experience I have with Camp uh, Tapawingo. Is that how you say it? Tapawingo. Tapawingo. Okay, so I might get that right by the end of the week, okay? Um, I'm from the north, so I don't know how to pronounce anything down here in the south. At least that's what I'm told quite often. Um, I just wanted you guys to get to know me a little bit uh, before we get started. I graduated from Piedmont uh, as a uh, youth pastor, and God had always worked on my wife and I's heart to be missionaries. And that's what we wanted to be, but didn't know how that was going to work out. Um, to make a long story short, God took us to a place in Roanoke. Ironically, that's where her family lives. You know, um, it's just God that we moved to where her family lived at. But we actually have an awesome relationship with uh, her mom and dad. And we moved down there, and we're missionaries to inner city students. Um, how many of you guys have seen on TV in the last week and a half or so um, the story about the four people who were murdered in Farmville, Virginia? by a guy named Sam McCroskey, Adam Sam, or Richard Allen McCroskey. 
Do you see that? He was into what they call horrorcore music. Do you see that? Um, we, I work with students who struggle with things that are very similar to what he's dealing with. As a matter of fact, two of my students are friends with him. Um, and so we've been actually working with the whole situation that's going on there. And I'm going to talk to you about some things this week that I want to challenge you, or this weekend. I mean, I want to challenge you to think uh, deeply about who God is and how God applies to your life, okay? Um, I will tell you a couple things up front. I don't like Sunday school answers, okay? So I like to do interaction. I like to be interactive with you, but I don't like answers like Bible, Jesus, and God. Okay, do you understand what I mean? If that's the right answer, that's okay. But, you know, a lot of times we put our minds in neutral and we're like, you know, um, what is salvation about? Jesus. You know, the Bible. Do you understand? Is anybody awake? Are you alive? Okay. Um, so here's the thing. I want you guys to connect with God and to understand who He is and to really grasp what it means to be in love with this almighty, huge, majestic God. Okay? And there's something you'll realize about me, hopefully, this week, is that I'm not very good at much stuff. I'm not, you know, a guy that is... is was popular in school or anything like that, but there's one thing that I do. I love God because He has changed my life completely. And I'm very passionate about Him. And I'm very passionate that my family, or, and my family is very passionate about Him. And I want you guys to be able to capture that and to be able to love God, not from me, but from God. And understand who he is. And so we're going to talk about some radical people in the Bible who were totally committed to God. Okay? So let's start with a word of prayer and then we'll go into uh, the Bible. Okay? Father, we love you so much and thank you for being the God that you are. I thank you that being as huge as you are and as majestic as you are that you still chose to love us. God, we so do not deserve your love. God, you, you chose to allow us to be part of your life. Lord, just please help us to capture you and to understand you this weekend, Father, in at least the most minute way. God, just please work on our hearts and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what did you guys realize about the whole um, infomercials? You know, the pastor, Uncle Paul, this is going to be really confusing, but my wife had a youth pastor named Pastor Paul, and that's what everybody calls him. So uh, I'm, I'm probably going to confuse Uncle Paul and Pastor Paul quite a bit because I'm not smart. So um, here's the thing. What did you guys realize and understand about the whole um, infomercials? What, what is the concept that is trying to be focused on this week? Huh? Okay, don't believe the lies that are out there. What are the people that are trying to... Sh okay, let's look at Billy Blanks especially, okay? Because he is the epitome of a great pitch man, okay? What is he trying to do? What, is, what does it seem like he believes about that item that he is showing you? That it works? What? That it's the best thing ever? That's right. That's great. You know, like the greater, uh, the what is it, the greater bowl or what, the greater plater. <laughs> what? So here's the thing, you know, he is awesome at it because he's very passionate and he makes, he makes it seem as if 
it's the greatest thing in the world. I've always wondered what it would be like just to have a normal conversation with him, you know? I've always wondered if, you know, he'd come up and be like, Hi, I'm Billy Blanks, you know? And, and be like, whoa, dude, you know? No coffee for you. Um, so here's the thing. I want so much to be like that for Christ. It seems like he's totally committed and totally into the thing that he's trying to sell. Okay, let me tell you how much of a sap I am for buying this stuff, okay? Um, you ever seen those? They actually had a commercial that was kind of like it on here. Have you ever seen the, the commercials for the Miracle Blade? Yeah. I bought them. Because I thought, you know, wow, I can cut my boot in half and then slice tomatoes, you know. Number one, I'm not going to cut a boot, and I don't like tomatoes, so I'm not entirely sure why that was so attractive to me. But And it doesn't work, by the way. I tried. Um, um, so I actually did cut a boot. But anyways, um, I didn't cut tomatoes to begin with. And I even tried, have you ever seen them where they throw the pineapple up in the air? And, you know? Okay, yeah, it went everywhere in our kitchen. So, you know, um, you, you'll realize there's not much difference between you and me. Um, my wife actually has three children. Um, I'm the most irresponsible one, just the oldest one. So, but here's the thing. He is totally committed, and these guys are totally committed. And there's times that we look at that stuff, and it's like, wow, if we bought that, it would change our life. You know, and you said, you know, it, it, it solves problems we don't have. There's a lot of problems we face in life. How many of you guys would be willing to say, you know, I face hurts every day in my life? I face a hurt every day or frequently in my life. For those of you that aren't raising your hand, you're probably even too ashamed to admit that you are. Or you may just have not connected with hurts that are in your life. Because in one way or another, there's different things that are in our life that hurt and really stink. But here's the thing. God wants us to be able to work through that stuff. And God wants us to see that if we are totally committed to Him, those things start to fill in the background and we realize that maybe they're not so important in our life. But when we don't see God as being the first and foremost thing in our life, what happens is those become the driving forces and we do all the things that we can to hide and to mask those things so that we feel good about ourselves. We get into bad relationships with people. It's funny. You know, this is just me. I dated two people. The first one was my ex-girlfriend. We dated for four and a half years. Two days before we were supposed to get engaged, we broke up, and I almost killed myself because of it. No kidding. Almost killed myself because of a girl. Dumbest thing I've done in my life. That's where Michelle came into the picture because she knew something was wrong. And she stepped in to start caring for me, even though I didn't even realize what she was doing. She just was becoming a friend, which is why I fell in love with her. And then when I asked Michelle, we, we spent a year and a half getting to know each other, really me trying to convince her to give me a chance, okay? <laughs> but we, we spent a year and a half getting to know each other. And then after that, we, you know, um, I use the word date. Some people say court. It's really, it's semantics, okay? Uh, in other words, it's, there's some little differences. But the whole thing is, is, I realized that, you know, all the stuff that I was worried about in high school about dating really was worthless uh, because I didn't have any idea what a relationship was until I got to college. And, you know, they, you know, we try to mask things with bad relationships, with stuff we don't really need. 
We try to mask things with addictions to things. And you know, a lot of times when we hear the word addictions, what do we think of? Drugs. What else? Alcohol. Smoking. What else? How about cutting? What about self-injury? How many of you in here know somebody that self-injures? Okay. And see, the thing is, is when I mentioned that, it was silent. Why? Because it's something we don't talk about, is it? It's something we're scared of. But it's real. It's there. You guys know people who do it. What about stuff like video games? Can that be an addiction? Uh, yeah. I have a student. <laughs> no joke. I have a student who has carpal tunnel from playing video games too much. I'm like, are you serious? Really? Carpal tunnel from video games? I, I still, you know, the Wii was a perfect, a perfect invention for me. Because I play Nintendo like this, you know. Um, you know, I'm, I stink in video games, okay? I grew up on a farm without a TV until I was 13. I didn't know what a video game was. Um, and so, like, I'm terrible at them. I play my students, and they kill me. We'll play basketball on Xbox 360, and they beat me like 140 to 7. You know, no joke. I'm not even kidding. I'm terrible. But here's the thing. We use all different kinds of things to form masks to be able to help the things that we hurt in. But I want you to look at a different perspective, and we're going to talk about being totally committed and what that means, okay? And we're going to look at how if we are totally committed to Christ, again, those things start to kind of fade in the background and they don't become so important to us. How many of you guys know what a parable is? Okay, what is a parable? A, a, a story told about Jesus or by Jesus. Anybody else have any ideas? Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to show you something about parables that may make you mad. It may, may be like, no, it's not true. But we'll look at it. What was the purpose of a parable? To teach a lesson to who? To us? A lot of times we believe that, who in here would say that they believe that parables were used to teach people who didn't know about God about God? That's what I believe. And that's what a lot of people believe. Some of you may not be raising your hand because you know that I was setting you up to tell you that that's not what it means. Here's, let me tell you what a parable is. The disciples, they didn't know. They asked God. This is what he said. Okay? He said unto them, He that hath ears, this is in Mark chapter 4. We're not going to turn here. If, you know, In a second, we'll have you turn to Genesis 12. But I want to explain some things here. Um, the disciples asked him, you know, what is the point in this? And, and he said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And what he was alone, they were about him with the twelve, asked him the parable. Asked him, what, what is this about? I don't, we don't understand why you're telling us in parables. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Unto who it is given? Who is it given to? It says, let me read it again. He said unto the disciples, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Who is the parable given to? To us, and specifically there to who? The disciples, okay, who were following God already. And then he says, 
But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That, that seeing or looking at it, they will see it and not be able to understand it or perceive it. Hearing, they may hear it and not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. Now wait a minute. God sits there, Jesus is telling the disciples, okay, the reason I teach in parables is so that the people who don't understand who I am won't be able to figure me out and can't get saved. What? I thought that's why you came. Well, see, here's the thing. Back in the time of Jesus, what they would do is they would use parables, and a lot of different religions would use parables to teach so that the people who already believed in God or already believed in that religion would be able to understand what he was talking about, but everybody else would be confused. Is that what happened with the Pharisees? Isn't that what happened? They were trying to understand that God would give them this parable, and they'd be like, what? I don't get it. The eye, you know, a camel going through an eye of a needle? How does that work? I don't understand. We'll talk about that later. But here's the thing. He would use these parables, and what would happen is it would help the people who already believed in God to follow him even more, and the people who were inquisitive and really wanted to know but didn't understand, it would cause them to question even more and to even seek him greater. God wants us to use our brains. Guys, one of the things that I'm passionate about is you not just believing what you're told, but knowing why you believe it. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what somebody has told you. What matters is that you can see from God's Word that it is real. Because guess what's going to happen when you get out of high school? It's a statistical fact that 80% of you sitting right here will walk away from God. Why? Because you don't know why you believe what you believe. Because we have become complacent. We've become satisfied with just knowing things and not knowing why we know them. And we live in this era of what's called post-modernity or post-modernism. And what that is, is it's kind of like Christianity at Starbucks. Okay, anybody here like Starbucks? Or Burger King, have it your way? Okay, I love Burger King. I love having it my way, okay? Whopper, you know, milkshake. I don't, I don't go for the Whopper and soda. I want the milkshake, okay? I like ice cream. So but here's the thing. What, what is going on now is people want Jesus the way I want to understand Him. People want God the way I want to understand Him. You know, I kind of want a little bit of Mormonism in here, some Islam, and, and a little bit of Jesus, but I don't want the part that's bad, or the part that offends me, or the part that makes me have to change something. Because if I have to change, then I'm not myself, you know. You know, maybe, maybe we're kind of abrupt with people, and, and we tell people how it is all the time, and we use the excuse of, well, you know what, that's just my personality. It may be your personality, but it is not okay. God said in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, He teaches us that we're supposed to speak the truth to people, but we're supposed to do it out of love. But a lot of times what we do as Christians is we want to go up to people and we're like, You need Jesus! You know? We're like, Hi, I'm Jonathan. What's your name? You need Jesus, okay? You know, I mean, does he think I really care about him? You know? You see what I'm saying? But God wants to know that we are committed to Him, and God, wants to, God knows that we're committed to Him when we pour our life into His Word so that His Word can affect us. But we don't want that, because it requires time. Guess how much time the average pastor in the United States spend in, spends in devotion? Huh? 
nine hours? Yes, again. One in one day. No. Any guesses? Two hours? Two hours? What if I told you five minutes? Five minutes. That's how much time the average pastor spends in his devotions. But what are pastors telling you to do? You need to spend hours in devotions. And that's true. But see, here's the thing I struggled with. I went back in the Old Testament and back into the Bible and everything. Guess what they didn't have when the Bible was being written? They didn't have the Bible. Okay? But they had Jesus there. They had Old Testament writings. They had the Old Testament. And it was called the Law and the Pentateuch and the Torah. And here's the thing. I was looking at that and I was like, well, they didn't all have a Bible. So how could they do devotions every day? This is where they went way deeper than we did. They lived in what was called an oral society. Which means that they would go to the synagogue usually one time a week. They would stand for hours while the, the high priest would read from, or the rabbi would read from the Torah. And they would memorize it. And then they would Psalm chapter 1 it. They would meditate on it day and night. The word meditate literally means to murmur. They would walk around it. And, and it would almost be like, you know, when your parents get mad at you for mumbling because you walk away and you're like, you know? Okay? Well, they would murmur to themselves the word of God that they had been taught. And they would do this continually. And then the husbands would teach the family. And they would do this over and over and over and over and over again. And by age 13, it was very common for a young person, especially a young male, to have to have the Pentateuch memorized. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Memorized. So that they could say, listen, what does Leviticus 17.4 say? Um, I don't know. I never understood it when I read it. They would know exactly what it was. See, these guys were committed to God. They were committed to making this change their life. They were pouring it into themselves. And here's the thing that we don't connect with is we don't think about God. The age of post-modernity literally means we do things our way. I want it my way. And it's all about me. If it's something that's going to conflict with me, I don't want anything to do with it, God. And we take and we change things. There's a way that people understand the Bible where they literally say, well, the truth is whatever it speaks to me. No! The truth is whatever God's Word says it is. I mean, granted, there are things we're going to understand at different times from the Scriptures, but turn to Genesis chapter 12, and I want to teach you something that you may have not realized before. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. If not, I'll read it and we'll go on from there. I want you guys to see that the things that we're teaching or that we're talking about come from the Bible, not from me. Okay? One of the coolest passages in the whole Bible is actually in Acts. And Paul talks to a group of people and he says, and those of, those of Berea are more noble than those of Thessalonica, and that they took the word of God and sought the things that I taught and looked at them and examined them to see if they were true. Paul was happy that people took the things that he taught and matched it up with the Bible to make sure he wasn't lying. Guys, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm a human being. There's going to be times when I'm going to read the Bible and think I really understand something and I get it wrong. But But the Bible will not change. Here's what Genesis chapter 12 says. We're going to look at a guy who was committed. 
says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, or from thy family, and from your father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Okay, what did he tell Abram to do? Who is Abram? Abraham. We'll become Abraham, right? What did his name mean? Father of, father of a nation, or father of many, okay? What, what, what did God tell Abram to do? What did he come to do? Speak up. Say it loud. It's okay. Go to a different country. Well, he, he told him literally, he said, get up and go. What would your response be? My, what would be your first question, do you think? Where? <laughs> would be my first question. Yours may be why. My first question would be, um, okay, where? Uh, I didn't tell you where. No. We'll see, God, here's how this works. Um, if I'm going to go, I need to know where to go. i got to Google it. You know, I need to put it into my GPS so that I can find out where I'm going. Uh, yeah, um, just go. Okay, my wife and I kind of experienced something like this. Not nearly what Abraham did, but we were, I was a youth pastor in Pennsylvania. And God changed where he wanted us to be. And God made it very clear to my wife and I that it was time for us to move on. So one day I'm sitting there, my wife is six months pregnant with a baby, with our first child, and I'm sitting there, and the pastor walks in, and uh, he goes, hey man, it seems like something's going on, What's, you know, are you okay? And I said, I resign. Um, and then I thought, oh, I just resigned. Oh, I don't have a job now. <laughs> um, and my wife's pregnant, we won't have insurance, babies um, cost $10,000 to have, what are we going to do, you know? Um, and then I thought, okay, well, we'll, you know, we tried to figure out where we were going to go. And so we were planning on moving to Indiana and somehow ended up in Virginia. A week before we were going to move, God made it clear that, okay, I want you to go to Virginia. Didn't know why. Didn't have a job. In Indiana, I had a job and a place to live. In Virginia, we didn't have a job or a place to live. We were moving in with her parents. And let me just tell you, when you're married, you don't want to move in with your parents. That's the whole idea. You get married and you move out, okay? So we were moving back in. You know, uh, so here's the thing. We went, not knowing what God was going to do, and God, I mean, in an amazing way, showed us different directions as to where we were supposed to go. Abram didn't know where he was going. Here's what's even more phenomenal about it. Did Abram know who God was? No. He didn't know who God was at this point. Let me show you. If you go back, it says, And Terah took Abram his son, and let the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son's, uh, Abraham's wife, uh, and they went forth with them from urge of the Chaldees uh, to go into the land of Canaan. Uh, they came to Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 250. That's not the verse I wanted to read, actually. Let's see here. I lost the verse that I wanted to read. Um, but if you look back in the chapters before, it teaches that, that Terah, or Abram, Terah's dad, or Terah, Abram's dad, didn't even know who God was. He didn't worship God. He worshipped false idols. Abram wasn't taught who God was. He didn't know. And God, so, so I, want you, I want you to picture this, okay? You're sitting in your cabin tonight, and all of a sudden this voice comes. You, you don't believe in God. You've never seen a Bible. You have no idea who this person is. And all of a sudden he says, Hey. No, what's your name? Wow, that's 
interesting. So he's like, Sarah, um, did I have too much pizza tonight? You know, I mean, you're hearing voices. You're kind of freaking out a little bit, you know. <laughs> I would probably wet myself, okay. Um, I would be scared. But we hear him say, you know, Jonathan, uh, yeah, I want you to go. Okay, first of all, I don't know who you are, and I still don't know where I'm going. See, the thing was that Abraham had to take a huge risk, and he had to totally commit to God. I want you to understand how large that commitment was. He took his family. His family. At that point, he didn't have any kids that were his own. He was responsible for his brother's kids because they had died, so he had Lot, who was his nephew. And he's taking this this person, Lot, going to a foreign country that he doesn't know where it's at, doesn't know what they have, has all these sheep, doesn't even know if there's going to be food for the sheep. As a matter of fact, if you look at where he was moving to, he was moving from a place that had food to the desert. Sheep don't live in the desert. I know I've been there, okay? I spent ten weeks in the Sahara Desert. It's hot and there's nothing but sand, okay? It's no fun. Actually, it was pretty cool. It was, it was really hot, okay? Um, so here's the thing, though. You know, he, God's telling him, I want you to go and go this way. You know, he started giving him direction as to where to go. And he didn't have any idea who God was, but he said, okay. Guys, that's the commitment that we want to promote in your life today. I want you to be so committed to God that when he speaks, it's not a matter of, God, well, well why or where. It's just, okay, okay. And he started to seek this God, to understand who he was. And it says, he says to Abram, he said, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless you and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. I want you to understand this. Not only was Abram not knowing who God was, how old was he? Dude was thinking, I just retired, God. <laughs> you know, I've got me a nice little yacht here. I've got me a nice little home that I can live in. I finally was able to buy a Cadillac to drive around because, you know, you have to wait till you're old to buy one of those, okay? Um, or a Lincoln or something like that, you know, one of those real big cars, okay? Um, God... I'm comfortable here. Do you feel comfortable where you're at? In your life, do you feel comfortable where you're at? Here's the thing. We don't like being out of our comfort zone. How many of you guys know what a close talker is? I, I am a person who... Do you know what a hula hoop is? Okay. I, I, I'll tell people, don't crush my hula hoop. What I mean by that is pretend there's a hula hoop around me. I don't like close talkers, okay? You know, the guy that walks up to you and he's talking to you, he's like, yeah, yeah, how are you? You know, we're kind of like, yeah, hey, okay, you know, back up a little bit, right? Well, I, you know, I can't handle being real close like that. It, it kind of freaks me out a little bit, okay? So, um, and it's partly because I'm a germaphobe. I don't like germs. Um, so here's the thing, you know, that's my comfort zone, and I'll tell people, look, you need to back up a little bit. We don't like people within that comfort zone that's in our life. But that's where we like to stay. 
And God was asking Abraham to take all this comfort and throw it away and totally commit to me, totally follow me. Oh, God, you don't even know. And guys, what I want to challenge you with right now is that God is doing the same thing with your lives right now. You may say, well, I know God. I'm a Christian. Do you really know Him? Do you know God? Do you know Him completely? Or is there a level that God could take you to that you've never even thought of? I thought I knew God when I was in college and I had been dating this other girl. And man, when we broke up, I thought everything ended. And that's what drove me to the point to where I wanted to commit suicide. And as God took me through this experience, I I had my best friend came to me when I was going out. The only reason why it worked that I I didn't end up doing this was because my best friend came and he said, the only... The only class he ever skipped in his life at college. It was a night class, and he was walking back to his room because he felt like God was asking him to for some reason. And he walked by and saw me getting into my Firebird. Don't worry, it wasn't a cool one. Um, four different colors. But anyways, he, uh, he asked if he could ride with me. Don't know why to this day. And he got in the car. I kept trying to tell him, no, he got in the car anyways. Uh, you couldn't lock the doors. Um, so he got in the car and he was, I'm telling you, the only cool thing about this car was I made it wink so that it could wink at Michelle when I drove by. She never figured it out. She thought it was broke. Made me feel dumb. So anyways, we, um, we get out and I'm driving down a, a highway in Winston-Salem, North, Ca- North Carolina called I-40, Business 40. And one of the things that you don't know about me is that the addiction that I had when I was going through different things in my life when I was struggling was speed. Not alcohol, but speed. I have been pulled over for doing over 120 miles an hour on a road. Okay? I've also been tried to have been pulled over when I was doing that and have ran from the police and later got home and they were sitting in my living room. So that's not a good idea. Um, so here's the deal. You know, I, uh, I, I was flying. I was going 104 down this road. And I, was lo- I knew the embankment I was going to hit. They were doing a lot of construction. They're still doing construction there. was flying down this road, and I was ready for it to be over. And for one small second, I looked over, and I saw my best friend Bobby sitting there. And I could see the fear in his eyes, yet also see calmness. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew that he was okay with where he was at at that point. See, Bobby was totally committed to God. He was totally sold out for Christ. He believed everything that he read about Jesus. I believed the things that were convenient for me. I stopped and I pulled off the side of the road and broke. I said, dude, I don't know what it is, but I need what you got. I was a Christian, but I wasn't applying the things that I knew. And Bobby just loved on me. You know, dudes do hugs sometimes. We just don't tell people about it. Okay? Bobby gave me a hug, and he was just sitting there. We're sitting there praying, and he's like, Listen, Jonathan, God's going to do something awesome with your life, and I want you to let go. He started taking me to different passages, and this was the passage he took me to first. He said, Abram didn't even know God, and God called him to ask him to do something big. Asked him to give up everything for him. God wants you to do the same thing. And it was at that point that I realized that I didn't give anything up to God. 
Because what I want you to understand is no matter where you're at in your life right now, even if you feel like you've given everything, there's always more that you can give to God. There's always another level you can go up to. There's another step you can take. God gave up everything. This is how huge God is. There are 350 billion trillion stars in the, or in the universe. 350 billion trillion stars. There's over 600, uh, 600 mil, or 60 million galaxies. Okay? I don't know how they found that out. It's a lot of counting. But they figured this out. And God went past all of them to earth to put us here and to love you and I. But he expects everything in return. Guys, God wants you to commit. God wants you to give it all. God wants more. He wants your life. And if there's one thing that I can teach you, if there's one thing that I'm passionate about, is that God wants to do great things through small people. God wants to revolutionize this world with people who feel like they're totally incapable. God wants us to give everything like Abraham did. He's calling us and saying, give it to me. Follow me. I will take you to a place you've never been to in your life. And I'm going to challenge you to be something you never thought you could be. He did that with Abram. Established a nation. How did he end with Abram? What was the most significant thing we remember about Abraham? Huh? Something? Yeah. What do we remember about him? He had a son. He had many sons. And we're one of them, right? <laughs> Everybody stand up. We're going to sing. No, I'm just kidding. I can't do that song. I, I like fall. I do. I, I can't go in circles. <laughs> Two times. You know. so what, what do we know about Abraham? What did he experience that took him even further than the call to walk away? He about sacrificed his son. How many sons did he have? Well, he actually had two sons. How many sons did he have with his wife? One. Okay. Yeah, Abraham had a son without his wife. You know what? Everybody that we look at in the Bible screwed up. They all messed up. God did great things with them. Look at David. What what did God call David? You are a what? A man after my own heart. Really? He called David a man after his own heart. And yet David killed, committed adultery, stole. What? How does that work out? Because God is a forgiving God and he uses, great, uses people to do great things. Here's the thing. It says that Abraham did, uh, that, that God asked Abraham, he said, Take now, this is Genesis chapter 22, Take now thy son, thy only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. Again, <laughs> did he tell him where to go? He said, go to Moriah. I'm not going to tell you which mountain to go to. I'll tell you later. But I want you to give me your son, your only son. This was huge for Abraham because Isaac was the only thing that he had to live on his lineage. That was important at this time. He'd already called him out of this place that was comfortable to him, and now he's taking him to a whole new level. And let me tell you something. If God asked me for my child, I don't know that I could do it. 
If God said, I want you to give me Kylie, or I want you to give me Ethan, I want you to sacrifice them for me, I don't know that I would be able to do that. I, I, don't, I don't know. That, is, that would be so hard. But Abraham followed. And this is what he did. And he got up there, uh, and Abraham's, um, Abraham uh, was talking to Isaac, and it says, And Isaac spoke to Abraham in, chapter, in verse 7. His father said, Father, here am I, my son, is what Abraham said to him. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. This was God talking about Jesus to come. He said he will provide himself a lamb as a burnt offering. So they went both together. He laid him down on this altar that he built. His son helped him build. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Stop! Stop. Because I know you, li- I know you love me. I know that you're going to follow me now. Guys, God isn't going to always stop. He's not going to always call you to do something that's very extraordinary and very difficult and tell you to stop or tell you all the directions before, before you're there. Because if He did, we probably wouldn't listen. God always calls us to do extreme things, to do outrageous things. That may be outrageous to us. It may not be to other people, but it's outrageous to us. And he doesn't always give you the directions. As a matter of fact, very rarely does he. He just says, follow me. Trust me. I've earned that. Where are you right now? Where are you with God? Have you given everything over to him? Are you willing to follow him no matter where he asks you to go? No matter what he asks you to do? Are you willing to tell your friends about Christ? Are you willing to love that person at your school that everybody makes fun of? that you know will make you a social outcast? Are you willing to sit by them at lunch every day to show them what the love of Jesus is? Are you willing to develop a relationship with somebody that isn't even, doesn't deserve our relationship? Are you willing to go outside the box and to be able to, to give God everything He asks from you? Are you willing to commit your life completely to Him and to say, you know what, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to start making this part of my life. I'm going to do an Abraham and I'm going to go even farther and I'm going to trust that God is going to totally change and revolutionize my life. I'm going to think. Are you ready? Are you there? Are you willing Guys, God doesn't play games. He's an all-or-nothing deal. You can't pick a cup and fill a little bit up and say, okay, this is all I want, God. It's either all or nothing. Where are you at? Have you let Him fill you completely? Let's pray. Father, God, I... I don't entirely know what you're doing right now. As a matter of fact, I don't really know anything that you're doing right now in these students' lives. Lord, this whole morning, in a sense, has just been a total um, craziness to to Michelle and I, Father. And Lord, um, you took me out of my comfort zone. Lord, um, not feeling like I'm... I was totally ready to be able to, to teach because 
of being rushed this morning. Um, and Lord, I I just I ask you to do the things that you do. I ask you to just help us to recognize your presence today, Father. Help us to listen to you as you start to impact our hearts. Guys, I'm just going to ask you a question with your heads bowed. How many of you are willing to say, you know what, I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm not totally committed to God. I've not given Him everything. I know that right now. I know I've not given Him everything. If that's you, I just want to raise your, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to point you out or anything. I just want to know where you guys are at. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. You can put your hands down. How many of you would be willing to say that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's no question in your mind you know for sure that if you died right now you'd spend eternity in heaven? If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Okay, again, I appreciate your honesty. Go ahead and put your hands up. Many of you couldn't raise your hands. We're going to talk even more deeply about that tonight. That's the first step of, of stepping out into a radical life giving your life to Jesus who has earned every right of that he bought your life by dying for you you need to seriously consider the decisions you make this week this weekend God please work with these students work in my heart Father break me of areas that I need to commit to you yet Father, I love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I guess I'll just turn it back over to you. Uncle Paul, is that okay? Guys, if you need to talk to somebody or make a decision tonight, I don't know you know, if we, if Uncle Paul usually does an invitation or whatever, but are you committed completely to Jesus? If there's something you need to commit to Him, if you need to commit your life, whether it's through salvation or just saying, you know what, I'm a Christian and I'm living faith. I need to give it all over to Him. If that's you, change it now. Don't wait.